0: Hello lovelies. I was just watching a podcast with Dennis McKenna. Like I do when I'm working, when I'm doing all of my mundane administration stuff, I tend to listen to podcasts and see if it piques my interest. And Dennis McKenna did indeed pique my interest today. He was talking with Jordan Peterson up about ayahuasca. Like you do when you're talking about ayahuasca, Jordan asked Dennis if he had any more insight on the nature of the discovery of ayahuasca, given the fact that there are 80,000 or more plants (laughs) in the Amazonian jungle. And Dennis proceeded to answer that. In fact, I'm going to let him answer for himself.
1: Now, how did this come about? The question always comes up. How did these indigenous people figure out this combination? One plant containing beta-carbolines and another containing DMT out of the 80,000 or so species in the Amazon, how did they stumble on this one combination? Was it trial and error or how? If you talk to the people, they will say, well, the plants told us, you know, but to a Western scientist, this doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, the plants plants told you? What are you talking about, (laughs) you know? Actually, I think the real story is a little more uh, prosaic in a sense that in uh, in our uh, ESPD50 conference, we had an uh, anthropologist, Dr. Manolo Torres, who presented on this. And uh, the fact is that at a certain point, uh, maybe... A thousand years ago, possibly a little earlier than that, there was a very active... There were different cultures that were living sort of in proximity to each other uh, in in the region where Colombia, Venezuela, and Peru now come together. These cultures were very uh, experimentally oriented toward plants. They had shamanic traditions. And uh, they used... uh, they were also very active in making chicha. They were essentially beer producers. They distilled, or they didn't distill them, but they had different fermented beverages prepared from fruits and grains and things like that. And they had many different kinds of chicha, mostly prepared from manioc. And they were also experimentalists. They were like they were like uh, craft brewers today, sort of. You know, craft brewers will—they have their beer, but then they'll just reach for anything on the shelf, or an ingredient will come up, and they'll say, "Oh, let's make it. Let's make a craft brew with uh, with in it, or with some other some other plant. Let's make something interesting." Well, the the people making the the chicha had the same sort of curiosity and in in their medicinal pharmacopeia they had the snuffs right uh, that's the other way in the amazon that the uh, DMT is used in the form of snuff and they had these snuffs they had these edited snuffs which are don't require mao inhibitors cuz you take them you know as a snuff they also had banisteriopsis, which is the vine that contains uh, the beta-carbolates. They use that separately as a medicinal plant uh, for various reasons, and it it has some psychoactivity. Basically, I think they stumbled on this formulation. You know, the the plants were in the mix, as it were, and they stumbled on this formulation, but it wasn't, it wasn't entirely a trial and error, you know. It was it was more like an educated guess, not really from the standpoint of biochemistry. They didn't think in terms of monoamine oxidase inhibition and that sort of thing, but they were familiar with the effects of these different plants, and they thought, well, what happens if we mix them, you know? And they did. They had a spectacular result. <laughs>
0: Now, the thing that worries me the most about this answer is that Dennis himself admits that as a Western scientist, the idea that the plants told the people the formula does not make any sense to him. And he chuckled at that. And that is simply because Dennis is stuck in that materialistic prison paradigm. And we honestly come up against that when it comes to ancient Egypt. There are questions that we seek answers for, that the Egyptians clearly answer. And Western scientists say, (laughs) that simply couldn't be the case. These people are delusional. But I don't think that's the case. His answer was that different cultures thousands of years ago that had shamanic traditions were very experimental and that they randomly stumbled across this formula while brewing chicha, right? A kind of beer, he says, utilizing ingredients from snuff. And so basically, he says they stumbled across it with an educated guess. The problem is, however, that... Given that there are 80,000 or probably more plants in the Amazonian region thousands of years ago, how did they make this educated guess in the first place? (laughs) How did they ascertain which plants were medicinal and which were not? It's kind of the same problem attributed to the Amazonian people in ascertaining which plans to put together in the first place, right? So it's kind of a circular answer. You're just kicking the answer down the road, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) right? Kind of delaying it, just pushing it back, pushing it under the carpet. (sighs) I'm sorry, Dennis. This kind of thinking is, I guess, my bugbear at the moment. And I'm working on a presentation. I have been invited to do a talk, which is lovely. And the subject matter is, you know, how did the ancients know? And I'm reprising material (laughs) that I have talked about before in other of my podcasts. But I'm really trying to hammer this idea home this time. And the first two points (laughs) that I make are, one, we are the most materialistic culture of all time trying to understand, in ancient Egypt's case, the most spiritual culture of all time. And I will add to that that the peoples of the Amazon who were able to receive the wisdom of the plants <laughs> were also clearly adept in the spiritual aspects of reality. The other point that I am driving home is that our culture is not yet 300 years old and that we have such incredible hubris to think that we are the most advanced civilization that the earth has ever known. And that we don't credit these cultures that have been on the planet for thousands of years with the ability to come up with technologies far superior to our own, albeit technologies that might be completely different from anything that we would recognize today. Sure, we have iPhones, but what technology of consciousness do we have that equals the technology of ayahuasca, for example? Ayahuasca is undoubtedly a technology of consciousness. The problem is now, how could the plants of the Amazon have told the shamans of the Amazon which plants to put together? Now, Magical Egypt, as you know, or may not know, (laughs) has found that the ancient Egyptians appeared to have a very well-developed science of consciousness, which is hard for us to believe as consciousness is the quote-unquote hard problem of science. However, we believe we've found evidence for it in the archaeological record. And specifically, this science of consciousness was a science that enabled a human to access other kinds of consciousness, expanded kinds of consciousness, or perhaps the word cities better describes the kind of consciousness that I'm talking about. One of the things that we had to do to really unfurl this idea is to look at other ancient cultures and put together different puzzle pieces in order to clearly see what the archaeological record was showing us. And to do that, we relied on the ancient Indian cultures and the ancient Chinese cultures. And we're not the only ones to do so. I have mentioned Ingo Swan before, and Ingo brings a lot to this discussion because in his book, Psychic Sexuality, which, as you know, is one of my favorite books, he literally, (laughs) clearly defines the mechanisms involved with accessing this very kind of information that we're talking about here. In previous podcasts, I've spoken about Annie Besant and Charles Ledbetter and their ability to use micro clairvoyance to see the structure of atoms decades before we had microscopes capable of doing it via the scientific method. I also talked about the very interesting subject of the sexualizing energies that Charles Ledbetter had actually utilized to kick this higher function, this micro clairvoyance, online. And in fact, that is the whole point of Ingo Swan's book, that we all have naturally these innate abilities, but sexualizing energies can be utilized to kick these cities, these powers into high gear in order that we can access this kind of information. Now, Ingo Swan just pointed me to a new book that I have found, which is called Chinese Super Psychics. And in that book, they talk about ancient Chinese wisdom. And once again, the ancient Chinese were completely familiar with the capacity of humans to see things beyond the material. In this book, they break down the levels of clairvoyance, or lucidity, if you like, into five different levels of attainment once these faculties of perception have been activated. The first level of attainment with the energizing or actualizing of these facilities is called the flesh eye. The flesh eye refers to an eye superior to an ordinary person's eye. Normally we cannot clearly see objects that are at a great distance or are very small or dimly lit. But once you achieve the activation of flesh eye, you are able to see things no matter how far, how small or how dark it may be. The next level, which is the heavenly eye, or third eye, is not an ordinary eye, but the Tian Mu acupuncture point, also called the Ba Hui, I don't know the (laughs) Ba acupuncture point. And when it is opened, it brings the power of remote viewing or see-through vision. Now, Ingo himself had an experience with this. He would call this see-through vision lucidity. And Ingo had an experiment that he called the copper mirror experiment where he was to sit in a box completely made of copper. And he noticed the most extraordinary things. First of all, of course, he noticed the activation of the sexualizing energies. But he was able to see (laughs) inside of himself. He was able to see through his body and into his organs, which was an extraordinarily wild experience for him. Ingo considers lucidity to be a higher level of activation or achievement, as the Chinese do, than normal clairvoyance. It is a level Of consciousness that requires activation. Now, the Chinese say it is through Qigong. Ingo Swan says it is through sexualizing energies. The ancient Egyptians point to what looks like Kundalini activation. So, depending on which lineage you prefer or which word you prefer, they are all talking about an energetic increase or an energetic activation of these faculties. But the Chinese go on to say that there is the wisdom eye. With the wisdom eye, you will not only see the whole object, you will also be able to tell its past and future. For example, you might be able to tell that a ceramic object has been through a fire 10 years ago and was slightly damaged, was recently filled with vinegar and so on in great detail. Then the next level of activation, as the Chinese explain, is the Dharma eye. The Dharma eye not only has the powers of the wisdom eye, it also has very high energy and lights the universe. It also has the power to repair things. And finally, the Buddha-Eye can see the past and the future, light the universe, change the course of events, and change matter in the universe. Now apparently only the Buddha himself has attained the level of Buddha-Eye. But these other levels, the flesh-Eye, the heavenly-Eye, the wisdom-Eye, the Dharma-Eye, Surely in one of those levels of lucidity, one would be able to see which plants you would put together to form ayahuasca. They could possibly glow. Their auras might be enfolded with one another, <laughs> just like Ingo could see the sexualizing energies of males and females being intertwined with each other. Maybe they could see the chemical components of the plants, just like Annie Besant and Charles Ledbetter could see the components of the atom and were somehow able to figure out The right component formula (laughs) to make it, for example. I don't know. Or maybe they could just access the prescription from the ether, like the medical medium. I don't know if you know of the medical medium, but he is amazing and basically explains that he gets all of his insight from spirit directly. So that's another kind of Sight, right? Sight or the ability to hear from a different realm. I'm not sure exactly if he's clairaudient or clairvoyant. By the way, if you have a thyroid condition or if you have a sluggish liver, for example, (laughs) I highly recommend his programs. Chance and I are floored with how well they have worked for both of us but i don't know i have not yet activated my powers so i cannot speak from experience but i'm sure with all of these options with all of these activated levels of vision there was a way that they could ascertain what the components were without trial and error <laughs> 80,000 plants. I mean, I don't know the math on that, but that has to be some astronomical number of combinations to work your way through, even with a thousand years to do it, as Dennis mentioned. I do not have a flesh eye. Ha <laughs> ha I'm almost legally blind, so I can't speak to it myself. But <laughs> I like the idea that with these activated visions, these cities, if you will, utilizing these sciences of consciousness, that these ancients and not-so-ancient shamans, that they had access to so much more insight and knowledge and wisdom from the spiritual realm than we have today in our materialistic prison paradigm. So Dennis, I'm sorry I'm going to have to disagree with your assertion that the Amazonian people obtained the recipe for ayahuasca as a result of borrowing it from another group of people that had just as many plants, that somehow through trial and error figured out the recipe without the use of these awakened faculties. I prefer to think, and I am beginning to believe that our human potentials are far more than we are giving credit to in our materialistic prison paradigm, and that if we could open ourselves to the spiritual dimensions and to the potential of our non-material organs, that with our scientific knowledge, on one hand, and the spiritual knowledge that we have access to, as Rudolf Steiner says, there would be no limit to our potential. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Hecker. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. Immaterial.